Hello and welcome back to episode 52 of the 50-50 Football Podcast. I'm Tyler and it will be a solo pod today. Um, unfortunately, I did have a guest lined up, but um, I was unwell, really bad hay fever symptoms really, um, over the weekend. So I couldn't, I had to cancel the guest and I have to do a solo pod a bit later on here. Um, so it's a little bit after the fact, but I'm going to jump straight in. Uh, Champions League final. Um, Manchester City finally get it over the line. Uh, 1-0 win over Inter. Um, a good performance, if not one, not one of their best. Never really got going into this game. Uh, they kind of started really well. Uh, straight off the blocks, but I was having a chance from the edge of the six-yard box. It should have gone flying in. Fede De Marco should not let him inside like that. Um, but really, Man City kept, kept into arm's length until probably the latter 20 minutes of the stage. It's really hard to analyse the game as much when you're out and about and watching it. Um, I was up in London um, watching it in a sports bar, so the atmosphere was quite good. Uh, a lot of Inter fans, actually. more than I didn't see one Man City fan, I saw a lot of Inter fans uh, kind of in the, in the, in the bar. Um, and it was a good performance from Inter. It really was. They more than held their own. Uh, finals do tend to be a little bit cagey in this one. At times was cagey and it kind of sprung into life at certain points. I thought Amadou Anana uh, made the best account for himself possible ahead of a potentially big move, potentially to Chelsea, uh, but we're, we're, I'm sure we'll see where he ends up. But some of the playing out from the back was utterly ridiculous just to beat that Man City press and get into on the ball, get them moving forward, get them creating, creating chances. I mean, I was happy that Denzel Dumfries had a stinker. I thought he was terrible. Uh, Lataro, should he have squared that to Lukaku uh, rather than going for go Edison? I thought Edison had quietly a really good second half. Obviously saved them towards the end as well. Um, and Rodri getting man of the match. He wasn't man of the match for me. You're looking at John Stones, another big coming out party, big final once again, landing at the Yorkshireman's feet. And it just take, takes the central midfield role like a duck to water. Um, what was interesting though is that Gundogan was coming a bit shorter and Stones coming going higher up the pitch, which... Is it a bit of Pep overthinking? I'm not sure. Like we were, we've been waiting all season for this overthinking style of Pep, and we haven't really got it this year. But this felt like a heart back to Pep overthinking. I mean, it worked to an extent. I didn't really love it. I prefer Stones collecting the ball for centre backs or trying to break through the pass through them lines rather than good to one. But um, it was a good showing nonetheless from Man City. Uh, still deserved it. XG. I think they conceded 2.07 XG. That's not something you really get from a Man City side. Uh, into on balance really should have at least taken them to extra time but City get it done um, they are the best team in the world and I think across the tournament I think you look at it and think the, the best team across the tournament the tournament won maybe not the best team on the night I still think they may slightly have edged it regardless of the XG but uh, the best throughout the tournament obviously you've got the absolute shellacking of RB Leipzig uh, tearing apart Real Madrid in the semis uh, Bayern also feeling the full wrath of this Man City side and all the rotations, all the rotating, you've got all these players, but he ended up going for a Kanji Ake in his final, which was the right decision because you look at that kind of lineups, you're not getting a player like Vinicius Jr. on the left-hand side tearing down. You've got Fede DeMarco. It's going to be a lot narrower. You're going to have to attack the narrow. If you're into, you're going to have to attack the narrowness of City. And I think it played into City's hands with a Kanji and Ake. And, uh, you know, a really professional performance, if anything, from Man City. Um and they got it done. That's all that matters at the end of the day. No one will remember people calling it a boring final. No one will remember that. Trophy celebrations, obviously, we've all seen Jack Grealish. Uh, he said he, and he doesn't think he slept. Uh, he, he looks constantly drunk. He's meant to be reporting for England duty as of right now, uh, which would be quite interesting. Um, 
but yeah, a fantastic, fantastic win for City. Um, and really, what's next for the City team? I think Pep, there's rumours going around that he's going to quit within the next two years after his contract's up. I mean, what is next for the City team? Is it, right, let's recollect ourselves and go for the quadruple? Do you go for back-to-back Premier League, back-to-back Champions League? That would be such an impressive feat if they are to manage that. Um, there's not really many places you can go. Obviously, we look at it from a squad building aspect. You're looking at uh, Amerit Laporte we'll be leaving. Uh, Ilkay Gundogan's future is up in the air. Barca, Arsenal and uh, Saudi Arabian teams, which I will get onto a bit later about the Saudi Arabian kind of transfer plans. Um, you look at someone like Bernardo Silva being always linked away from a move this, this year to PSG. Uh, especially with potentially Mbappe leaving as well, that could become a real possibility. And it's about how they adapt to this and how they can recruit well. Obviously, we've heard that Josko Vardiol, sorry, uh, will be probably the Laporte replacement, which is quite stunning. If we're serious, can play centre back, can play left back. He's committing to this kind of four left back scheme that he's got, and just wow, wow, that, that is elite squad building. If you're talented, you could argue about City's money all you want, but. If you're able to squad build in that way and identify those sort of talents, even pickups like a Kanji and Ruben Diaz was never meant to be this good. Like maybe in City's eyes he was, but when he was signed, he was never meant to be this guy, and he is this guy. Um, John Stones he's turned him into a world class centre back and a and an elite elite central midfielder as well. At the same time, I mean they just keep going up the levels. Even without they couldn't even rest the hat on Kevin De Bruyne in this game. Obviously, came off within the kind of half hour mark, I believe it was. Uh, the rumor, the the report is that he actually uh, pulled his hamstring or or done his hamstring. Two months, he's been playing with an injured hamstring for two months, and this was the final kind of tear. Which look, these players are playing too much football. I think we've discussed that quite a lot on this podcast. And yeah, these players are playing too much football, and it is going to come back and bite you with internationals. And we're going straight into another international break, which isn't ideal for any of these players or their respective club managers. Like and not good for the fan experience as well. I think cramming all these games in leads to these kind of more slower paced, boring games. And and look, see, but see, as I said, City have got it done, made history. Um, I think the scenes from Manchester were the most. Uh, the, the Man City themselves as a club ran like a fan viewing uh, experience, and it was really, really good. It looked amazing. Limbs all over the place as you'd expect. Obviously, Rodri getting that winner. Um, didn't have a particularly great game, I don't think. Uh, it was good as always, always consistent, but didn't have a particularly great game. But he gets that winning goal and writes himself into Manchester City folklore. He always seems to step up, especially on the big European stages, and grab that goal. And uh, yeah, I'm happy for City, generally. Um, they were obviously equal Man United's feet of getting the treble, so they've got a little something to bite back with to the, the noisy neighbours tag. And I think now... They're very far from that now. And it's all about, as I said, it's all about the next step for City. And uh, I'm really interested to see how what they do in the transfer market. If Bernardo, Gundogan, Mahrez are all linked with moves away, um, whether they do or not. Uh, so it's one to keep a keen eye on, especially from as an, from an Arsenal perspective as well. Like you're looking at Arsenal and thinking, right, can Arsenal make the next steps to compete for the title again and see if they can go all the way this time. And uh, it'd be interesting who produces them next year and who can uh especially from these like, squad building aspects. Um, moving on, the the guest I did have planned was uh, Chris. Uh, he's been on a previous podcast, a West Ham fan, in regards to the Conference League final win for, Man- for Manchester City. No, for West Ham. United, a 2-1 win over Fiorentina. Uh, the scenes after the game were quite truly magical, absolutely majestic. Uh and yeah, West Ham are massive everywhere they go. 
seemingly. Um, wasn't the best game of football you're ever going to watch. As I said, finals rarely are. But um, what a fantastic, fantastic feat for the for this for this. Sorry, I just dropped my phone for this West Ham side. Like just absolutely incredible. Uh, Declan Rice obviously rumored massively with moving on. Uh, it's great for him to go out on a high, winning this trophy for the club that he's captain that he's played in the academy for. Uh, and yeah, just really, really happy for David Moyes as well. Um, I don't particularly like his brand of football. Been quite vocal on that, but look. In his big European nights, he's got it right time and time again. And in this, on this occasion, I don't think West Ham were probably the better team on the night. I think it was fairly even. I think extra time and penalties would have probably been a fair way to sum up this game. But Boeing at that last minute winner in the limbs, you just knew as soon as you saw him running for a goal, you knew he was bagging it. Like he's 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 that type of guy. If he's for a goal in that situation on his stronger foot, I think if you're Igor, the centre back, you have to drag him down there. He doesn't. Uh, doesn't pull him down, lets him go for a goal and cash money there from Jared Bowen on his left. And I don't think anyone else in that position would would have finished that. Like if he had Skamaka on, he's not finishing that. Antonio would, would have made that run in the first place potentially that late in the game. Luca Benrahma would have been on his slightly weaker foot. I just think it was perfectly set up for Jared Bowen, a lovely ball from Lucas Paqueta who puts it straight through and Jared Bowen finishes it. Um, Bowen's on fire and he's shaking Danny Dyer. The chance from all over the place. Danny Dyer, the male Danny Dye also gave it his kind of back in saying he loves the child. It's a compliment, really, isn't it? It's a compliment. Uh, absolutely loved it. Um, and yeah, West Ham, they had a really, really good campaign. A really good fit, rarely faltered throughout that whole campaign. Were really good and good value in the final. Although I think Fiorentina will feel a little bit hard done by. Um, I thought the first half was absolutely abysmal of this game. The reason I say that is because no one wanted the ball. Everyone was treating the bomb like Casemiro treats the ball like it's a bomb. Like, there's no one wanted it. No one wanted it. And it was just going back and forth, back and forth. Fiorentina looking slightly more composed on the ball. It was only in the second half when it turned, oh, we've got a final on our hands. See, that first goal goes in the penalty. It is definitely a penalty. Um, in my book, it kind of loops over. He puts his arm out. It, it's a penalty. You feel hard done by if you're a Fiorentina fan. Don't get me wrong, but it is a penalty. Ben Rama, again, cash money. You wouldn't, I didn't expect him to miss it. I thought he'd go straight down the middle. He didn't put the top bins. Uh, lovely finish. Iconic celebration. Points to the head. Hand over the mouth. Um, his new kind of iconic celebration, if, if so. And... Uh, a lovely finish. And then the kind of wily old veteran of Bonaventura getting that equaliser. Or it felt like just a couple of minutes later. I don't actually know the timings. It just felt like a couple of minutes later, bang, dagger. And you just think, oh no, Fiorentina are going to win this, aren't they? Um, I hated uh, Vincenzo Italiano's lineup that he put out. Starting Kuame over Akoni was weird. Uh, not then bringing Jonathan Akoni on. But I think Sapanara came on instead. Uh, you saw Luka Jovic starting, which didn't make any sense whatsoever. His hold-up players in there, he's purely just a six-yard fox in the box, which in a final, yes, it's good to have them sort of players. And he did actually score. It was ruled out by VAR for offside. But, um, well, that got ruled out by the linesman and upheld by VAR, I should say. Um, Cabral would have held the ball up a little bit nicer, got players into the game. He wasn't as effective when he came on. I just feel like he's a player you start, you bring Jovic on. Uh, so I think he got his lineup a little bit wrong for Cenzo Italiano, obviously heavily, heavily linked um, to the job at Napoli, uh, which he'd be fully deserved. He had a really good season, kind of bounced back from Dusan Vlaovic leaving and going to Juventus and still being able to put out a competitive team um, and still be able to cop a Italia final. 
uh, Conference League final as well. Wasn't able to win either of them, although you could argue the better team on the night on, on both occasions against Inter and West Ham respectively. Um, just, yeah, really impressive run for Fiorentina, but even more impressive from West Ham perspective. The the parade was incredible scenes at the parade as well. Um, and I thought, yeah, West Ham, uh, obviously confirming Europe, Europa League football again, once more back in Europa League. And that that is just a testament to David Moyes got a lot of stick this year and for me I, I did call for him to be sacked but I just feel like he's going to get at least one more year now and uh, hopefully a few more signings and transfer window I don't think it's really hit for him uh, last year Paqueta slowly now getting finding his feet in the Premier League finding his feet back on the European stage and really thriving and I feel like that's going to be so important and crucial for West Ham next season obviously losing Declan Rice they're linked with Jao uh, Palinha uh, James Ward-Prowse uh, Edson Alvarez uh, as midfield options. I've seen him linked with a Brazilian strike. I can't, his name slips on my mind at the moment. Uh, linked with Eunice Musa of the American national team of Valencia. Uh, very interesting profiles, very interesting signings. Uh, Harvey Barnes as well, heavily linked, which I think would be an absolutely incredible signing for West Ham. Um, and fits a kind of ethos at the club of kind of an English core, mixed in with that little bit of flair as well. And I think Harvey Barnes is a spectacular winger. I really do, and he's waiting to go just go boom again. And uh, I don't know if David Moyes is the right manager to make someone go boom, but West Ham's a great setting to do it in. <clears throat> Sorry, excuse me, uh, especially with the minutes of the Europa League and everything else. Dare I say it, maybe even a cup run for West Ham next year uh, in one of the domestic cups, you don't know. But yeah, a spectacular feat for West Ham. I'm, I'm very happy for him. Uh, very, very happy. And uh, yeah, we get... We get uh, is it eight clubs in the... Yeah, eight teams in Europe and neither of them are Chelsea or Spurs, which is... Uh, if you would have told me that at the start of the season, I, w- I would not have believed you, but I would have bitten your hand off for it. So, And Arsenal obviously being in it. It's just a, the icing on the cake, really, of that of the kind of rivalry banter you get between the fans. Um, yeah, no, I, I, it will be a much shorter pod this, this week, obviously. It's just me on my own. almost monologuing, um, kind of off the cuff, but... Uh, I'm going to go into a little bit of transfer news, uh, which I think everyone is kind of interested in. It's a silly season, as some people put it. Obviously, we know all about Declan Rice still looking like he's looking likely he's going to go going to Arsenal. Arsenal also linked with Uka uh, Gundogan, uh, which I don't think will happen, and also Moises Casado, which I'm still a little bit skeptical on too. I just don't trust Edu Gaspar to maybe pull off two deals, two big deals in the same summer. But I mean, we'll see. We'll see. It'd be spectacular. If he could, um, and also you've got the Saudi Arabia question. You've obviously seen we've obviously seen Karim Benzema sign over there. Uh, Luis Gustavo was already over there. Uh, we've seen Angolo Kante uh, going over there um, as well. I think there's been contracts offered to Romelu Lukaku, Riyad Mahrez. Uh, I've seen Nicolas Pepe linked, Wilfred Zaha, um, William Carvalho uh, also linked to a move. Neymar's been linked to a move over there. I can't believe I just mentioned William Carvalho before I mentioned Neymar. Um, yeah, so many, so many players kind of in that kind of 29 to 33 bracket. Uh, and anyone, basically, if you want to get rid of a player, Saudi Arabia might be the way forward, but you may not get a recoup your value on here. A link with Khalidou Koulibaly, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang as well. Um, and yeah, I mean, the Aubameyang one does definitely suit him down to a T. Um, and yeah, I think they're trying to make get these big kind of global stars in to make this league as attractive as possible. Uh, obviously, big, big money. I think the PI, the uh, PIF, who own Newcastle as well, they've owned four clubs already in the league. So you've got a weird thing of modern football 
of kind of this this almost government feel. Well, I'm going to say it, a government basically doing doing the negotiations on these players and then just assigning them to a club, uh, which is very very strange. Uh, but alas, that is that is modern day football. Um, we look at Chelsea's situation. Obviously, their goalkeeper situation is one that's quite dire. Uh, we look, we've seen, obviously seen the links to Amadou Anana since the. Uh, no, Andre Onana, sorry. I'm sorry, Amadou Onana's the Everton centre mid. Sorry. Andre Onana, um, especially after that Champions League final, has been so impressive. I believe Inter want around £60 million. We'll have to see how that one materialises. I've also seen links to Robert Sanchez, um, which I think is the worst profile of what everyone they've been linked for. I, I don't I don't particularly love that as an option, but he's probably better than what they've already got. But is that the kind of direction Chelsea want to be moving in? Is just I'll get someone a little bit better than who we've already got. But we'll see. I saw Mike Mannion kind of rule him out, rule himself out of the Chelsea speculation, but I don't know how true that is. Uh, we'll just have to wait and see how that materialises. Um, yeah, obviously we've got the Mason Mount to Man United potentially as well. I mean, well, we'll discuss this all with Jamie. I mean, it, it's all speculation at this point. And I don't want to get too, too deep into it, but there's some really interesting moves. And obviously the big one being Lionel Messi, uh, the GOAT, who's going to MLS. And... Uh, it really is kind of a big, big opportunity for the MLS. The MLS has kind of tried to move away from getting these older stars in and trying to establish young stars of their own, the likes of Facundo Torres and Thiago Almada. And obviously we saw Miguel Almiron obviously pick up uh, a bit of form for Newcastle as well, especially at the start of the season. Uh, obviously an MLS export as well. Uh, we've seen Austin Trusty move to Arsenal. He had a successful loan spell at Birmingham, don't get me wrong. Uh, Matt Turner from the New England Revolution, obviously he's now the backup keeper at Arsenal as well. Uh, so the MLS is trying to become this kind of global brand. Uh, we've seen the Toronto FC boys, uh, D- Domenico Crescito, Lorenzo Insigne, and uh, Benedeschi hasn't quite gone to plan for Toronto. It's been quite a poor season uh, so far anyway. Um, but I think they've been trying to move away from the big stars and now they're coming back to that kind of get the big names and get all the eyes on the MLS. Tickets price are going to go through the roof. Marcus's ability is going to go through the roof. We sell the TV rights for a lot more. Um, and yeah uh, Lionel Messi is an Inter-Miami player or is going to be and uh, it's going to be quite a sight to behold it's going to be quite a sight to behold um, I have to say a great great coup for the MLS because uh, you're still getting a man who less than uh, a matter of months ago uh, has just won the World Cup and put his team on his back to win the World Cup so it's not this wow he's washed this that and the other like maybe Lampard and Gerard were when they moved over there this is the first, this is the big sign-in, the first big, big one of a player who's still got plenty of capabilities, uh, the best ever, since David Beckham, and Lionel Messi is three times the player David Beckham ever was. Um, I'm uncomfortable in saying that, even though I think David Beckham, due to his celebrity, is, has become slightly underrated as a player, but um, yeah, Lionel Messi, turning to Miami, it was just wow. Uh, there are rumours now flying around at Busquets and Jordi Alba, maybe joining him, getting the band back together, but uh, we'll have to wait and see on that one, but I'm happy for American soccer uh, moving kind of into that direction and maybe a lot more people tune into MLS. Uh, it's a team that prioritises kind of attacking football over defensive football because all your designated players, the big overseas players on big money, uh, almost like your franchise players, they always pick attackers. You're never going to sign a centre-back like, let's say, Thiago Silva as your designated player because... You want it to be your attacking players. You want it to be at that end of the pitch, no matter to it. It's very much a lot of chaos ball, a lot of goals, a lot of 
great attacking performances. You've seen the likes of Joseph Martinez over the years, played really well in MLS. Carlos Vea had a really good time. Dennis Buanga having a great season at LAFC. Uh, you look at even the players I, I, I aforementioned as well uh, that have come out of there. And yeah, no, it's, MLS is due to be really exciting in the next couple of years. And we'll just see how many more big stars they can really attract with the Saudi Arabia thing looming, with players still wanting to prove themselves at the top level. Um, it'd be interesting to see where the MLS goes. I'd like to maybe see someone like Rob Holding go over there. Uh, well, I just said the designated players are never defensive players just because he's he's very much in touch with American culture, loves country music. You see him at country music festivals all the time. And I think in some way he could be fitting seamlessly to any team. But I, I think that's more of a pipeline dream uh, for both him and myself. But yeah, I'm going to leave it there because uh, I don't want to bore you just with me monologuing my random thoughts on a kind of evening. Um yeah, I'm going to leave it there. So uh, thank you for listening. Uh, I'm sorry that Jamie isn't here. He's off sunning it up in Cyprus at the moment. Uh, I think we've actually had better weather here, but he hasn't been stuck at work. So he's definitely had the better deal of it um, and stuck in kind of our studio recording on a hot day like this. So um, I am going to leave it there. And uh, thank you very much for listening. And um, we'll see you next week. I think we'll be back to full complement uh, next week. I think we'll be doing our team of the season, potentially, as well. Uh, kind of looking, again, at the transfer market. We can't keep our eyes off of it. It is a big, big kind of time at the moment, especially in Bappe now being revealed that he could be moving on as well. Uh, it's so much kind of moving parts, and it's going to change day by day, let alone week by week. I didn't even mention Liverpool's... I'm going to mention it quickly now. Liverpool's midfield rebuild of... Uh, kind of signing Alexis McAllister 35 million such a big big signing uh, at such a great value and then they're reportedly going to add Manu Kone and Kefram Turam Yulien to that mix as well which is absolutely superb squad building I worry that they haven't really got a proper proper six in there but I really like just having I said they had to sign three midfielders if they can get those three done really early you're looking at a resurgent Liverpool Europa League football you're looking at top three you'd argue this shoe in at that point so very interesting, but I will leave you there. Um, and yeah, thank you. Uh, have a lovely, lovely week, guys. And uh, we'll see you next week. Peace.